Perfect. All right, guys, we're getting started here with a special episode of the Event Hubs podcast. It is my honor to welcome in Brian F. It's Foster, right? Brian Foster? That, that's it. You got it right. That's what the F stands for. No more mystery. <laughs> How are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Just got done with work. Talking to you now. Looking forward to playing more Street Fighter online after, so can't complain. Do you have fun playing Street Fighter Five online? I hear that's a point of uh, some frustration for a lot of people. It, it's a passion. I guess that's that's the word I use. <laughs> I'm very passionate about Street Fighter Five, and... Uh, Passion doesn't always mean it's all uh, fun and games. So it, it's, it can be rough from time to time, depending on on the, my mindset and how CFN is holding up that day. But, you know, <laughs> it's something that I want and do because there's an end goal in sight. Yeah, that was, that's been, for me personally, more the motivation to play is because, um, you know, I got in with it with Street Fighter Four, of course, and... Uh, and it was like I would sit down and play four just for fun because I enjoyed it. Five, uh, uh, not quite as much, but it is more for like I want to be part of the scene. I want to be part of the competition. Right. Um, and and you started with four, right? Because oh, like, yeah. I I hear that, or it's like we we started seeing you more and more with videos and then performances at tournaments mm-hmm. uh, here with Street Fighter Five. But you started back with four, right? Yeah, we we I always bring this up. We played a money match. I, well, I remember having that conversation about yeah. me losing said money match. I beat you and Brent in a money match. Well, I beat Brent first, and I think you tried to def- defend him or something, defend <laughs> your your homie there. And oh yeah, that was crazy for me because you know I had never until that point. Um, being from the Florida scene, I had been to only final round and CEO, and you know I got to play with players like uh, Tampa Bison, Knuckle Dew, CJ Truth. Flash Metroid and K Brad was always randomly at every street. K Brad was right? also always randomly in SoCal and always randomly everywhere. But he, he's a magician. He has teleport right. powers. I guess. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was he would randomly just be in my pool for any, every CEO monthly, and I was like, "How are you even here?" So, anyways, that was great though, being able to play other um, you know those players you see on stream and Wednesday night fights and NLBC when we finally when I finally went out to other tournaments because basically we just got our ass beat all the time by Flash Metroid and Knuckle Dew and you know it's hard to tell where you actually stand when you had those roadblocks that just kind of always knock sure. you back. You might be right on the cusp of beating some of the best players in the world, or you might be just at square two of, of 50. Who knows? Right. Because it's knuckle dude that you're testing yourself against, right? <laughs> yeah, it was very hard to tell, and it was hard to keep the scene motivated. So that was awesome to be able to go out. I mean, I didn't do that great in, in the tournament. I lost to Momochi and Sky Viper, I think it was. A guy I normally always beat. It was I was very upset about that. But, you know, getting to play money matches with other players, the, the faces that you know and you see more common and saying, hey, I can actually uh, hold my own or win. You know, that's back when we used Facebook for everything. So I was like, hey, guys, you got to travel more. It's, <laughs> even if yeah. we lose to Flash Metroid every, every weekend, it's okay. We can, we can maybe do some work if we got out there more often. Did you have the same kind of passion or fire for competitive Street Fighter back at that time? Or was there a time where you just kind of turned a corner and really turned it on and, and devoted more, I don't know, effort and, and time and just general everything to playing Street Fighter once 5 came around? I would say that since Street Fighter 4, eh, around like 2011, I think it's just been steady, steady work since then. Um, the main difference was I couldn't travel in those years when Street Fighter 4 came out. I got vanilla when I was in high school, right? So mm-hmm. I was in University of Florida 
for all of Street Fighter 4. I, I didn't have any means to travel or anything. Um, you know, I couldn't afford it. Wasn't good enough to get a sponsor or, you know, no exposure like that. And I think that was a big issue with the Florida scene. And I guess probably lots of scenes that don't have things like NLBC or Wednesday Night Fights. Mm-hmm. So I just went to CEO and final round, carpooling with like six other people, sleeping on hotel floors and I remember just, the struggle just well. bumming it, you know, just doing it you know, the old FGC way. And I did okay. You know, I'd always get like to losers finals in my pool or something like that. And, and, um, CEO like 2013, I think I beat K Brad to make it out. And then I immediately had to play flash Metroid. <laughs> right. Wow. Right. When CEO. I got out of pools. Yeah. So that roadblock <laughs> was just always there. Flash Metroid was just always beating me every event. Um, so I never really had like a big break in the few. Have you beaten him in to. tournament since then? No, I well actually, well maybe in season two in the first online tournament, uh, that one that I won with Balrog. So, you know, that's very legitimate. It counts. I'm in Wisconsin <laughs> to Florida online connection. It was a very honest and uh, I fair will take match. it all day. It's street fighter five. It's exactly. season two. It's online. <laughs> it is 100% a win. And don't you let anyone take that. Exactly. Season two rog online. Oh man. I messaged him after like times have changed. Times have changed. <laughs> oh, how far we've come flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently saw a tweet from you talking about the, um, the different seasons of street fighter five and how much you've enjoyed each one. And I, I think you ranked them. Uh, and I noticed that you had season two at the top of your list, and I thought, well, he might be trolling because he does play Balrog, and that was Balrog's time to shine mm-hmm. very clearly. But did you want to expand on that and the uh, the particulars of why you appreciated season two, or if that well, was a joke at all? No, no, actually, I put season four as the, the oh, number my one. bad. Yeah, season two I had right after that. And but, that was um, the second one, yeah. Well, I, okay, and the reason I noted that is because for a lot of people, season two ends up like dead last or second to last. That's, I think, how I would order it. Maybe that's why I was looking at it that way. But so season four first, why is that? I Well, that's funny. I, th- I feel like if you look at that poll of the results, season four was definitely voted the most favorably, like with 60% of the vote. But season two was second. It was pretty close behind season one. But season two actually got a lot, a lot of support, and I think that season two was just chaos. So in a good way, because there, every character had some sort of ridiculous mechanic that made them able to compete. There was a lot more character variety than season one and season three, I would argue. Um, and I think what really contributed to that, which is both everyone's least favorite and also what made the season exciting was throw loops i hated throw loops at the time i still do but the majority of the cast had a throw loop or some close variation of that and honestly i think that was like the great equalizer where it said if if your character can get this knockdown in the corner you can just mix and make your offense work and win and i think because so many characters had these explosive options you saw a lot more character variety and and a lot more i don't know just excitement with the offense was it fun to deal with no it was way too stressful (laughs) season two was insane i mean it would you just want to rip your hair out when you got throw looped in the corner or then ate the last meteor shimmy um so it wasn't fun to deal with at the time but i think from a spectator point of view season two was was you know i think capcom got what they aimed for with the fireworks with that one definitely better than season three and season one in my opinion 
Yeah, season one, man, uh, well, the vanilla go-rounds are always, you look back at them, and, and a lot of times you don't even realize just how broken they were until, you know, you look back. But I just remember Ryu being especially good, Chun-Li with her instant air legs and, mm-hmm. and just forever legs pressure until you got hit. Uh, Mika being fairly ridiculous. Mika and- was probably the most broken Street Fighter character I've ever had to deal with. Season one, Mika was just so broken. Yeah, and I don't even know that she was necessarily the best character in the game. I think she was. I think there are different ways of analyzing that. But she was certainly maybe one of the scariest and, 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 I don't know, put you in these just super unfavorable situations. As someone who who moved from, like, I played Nikali in season one, then I moved to Rog when he came out. Once you move from the blessed few in season one who have a reversal... Mika was literally just an unstoppable. That was seven three. There was actual seven threes in season one. Mika was just you could not beat Armika. You cannot beat a an average level Armika without a reversal. I think that character completely nullified half the cast in in season one. I never uh, had to play the the non reversal character uh, struggle against Mika, so I, I might not have a full picture there. But I can only imagine. I mean, it felt it felt really ridiculous even with a DP. And if, for those that don't recall, you didn't even have to spend meter for invincible reversals. Uh, well, right. if your character had one back in season one, you just didn't play. You did not get to play against that character. And I felt like that way with a lot of situations in season one. I mean, uh, how about when you knock down Ryu? And he had V Trigger and Super. You lost. Yeah, yeah. Because what, what were they thinking? <laughs> what were they thinking? I think they were thinking we just need to get this game on the shelves as quickly yes. as possible. And there was a lot of, uh, I think there was a lot of going back and tidying up um, in the years to come right. from there. But that is yeah. a lot of times the case with fighting games. Season one or the the first version, the vanilla version, is ridiculous, and and it gets better from there. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, but do you feel like where we're at right now with Street Fighter V here in Season 4 with the balance and you know all the content, um, do you think we can finally deem it a full game and an enjoyable experience? I think with the release of Arcade Edition, that's how the game should have came out with to begin with. I think it would not have been an embarrassing experience to say, hey, you casual video game audience, look at this Street Fighter game and consider buying it, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, I would say it's almost a full game. The game is what it is at this point. Either you like it or you don't. So I think content-wise, it's okay. It's still not great. It's still not what what Mortal Kombat is. And you, I mean, you just see the trailers and the content they're pushing out for that game. And it's just like, you. I can't imagine a day when non-Western devs even come close to producing that level of a complete experience for a fighting game. But as far as like the competitive aspect of the game is, I think Season 4 is definitely the best so far. I think they, season three, I think was besides season one, the the most imbalanced version because season two, they, everyone had throw loops or something crazy that they could use to swing the momentum in their favor. And then in season two, three, they nerfed most of that, but mm-hmm. n- not all of it. So you had characters like Kami, Rashid, Ibuki, um, still ridiculously strong, still possessing those pseudo throw loop situations still having extremely strong corner pressure, escape options, V-triggers, and the rest of the cast got toned down. And it, I think it showed in the results. Abigail as well was kind of crazy in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and you kind of saw that in the results. Season 2 had, by far, I think, the most variety 
And I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will quote some stats and show me I'm full of crap, but that's just the way I felt about season three. And I think in season four, I think they had real good nerfs. I'm glad some characters got nerfed. I'm glad some characters got buffs. I feel like we're going to see a decent amount of character variety going forward with the rest of the season. And it just feels more neutral based and well, as much as Street Fighter V can be neutral based. I, mm-hmm. I feel like the game is more enjoyable to play and less about crazy comebacks and and unavoidable oaky situations and more about actual neutral and, and outplaying your opponent. Do you feel like there are any characters that are like a full head and shoulders above everybody else in the tier list, so much so that they are breaking the game? By that I mean there's certainly going to be someone, maybe a couple that are on top, and that's fine. But are there any that are just so far ahead of the pack that it's like, well, you can pick this character and win, and then you can pick everybody else and play like almost a whole different game because they're so far behind? No, I, I don't think that exists anymore. I think in Season 3, there was like five characters, six characters, where they were playing a different game, and that was a lot like Season 1. I think half the cast in Season 1 was playing Street Fighter Five, and the rest were just watching. Um and season three, I felt like, you know, Ibuki, Kami, Rashid, Manat, Abigail, uh, maybe a few others in there. But Guile. if you weren't if you weren't Guile, yes, if you weren't playing one of those characters, you weren't part of the season. You were pretty much irrelevant. Um, and I don't I don't feel that way with season four right now. Um, they toned down Rashid, even though he's still, I think, extremely top tier. And they just kind of do a lot of horizontal shifts with characters like Rashid yes. and Akuma. Um, but they do have some nerfs that affect the actual game. Like, they're not insignificant. They do make his gameplay a little bit different, um, even though they do give him something else in return with, like, the eagle spike Oki. Yeah. Um, but no character right now stands out to me as being um, so over the top. And it was never that way in Street Fighter Five, besides, like, maybe Armika. I really hate Armika in Season 1. It was usually mm-hmm. groups of characters. Like, the top tier would be solidified in in season one and three where in season two i think there was a large pool of viable characters and i feel that way again about season four yeah there are a handful of characters that we've talked about since season four dropped that might have like be in the runnings for well maybe this is the best character um and they've ranged quite a while at first the bison floated to the top because he didn't really get any nerfs where all the others kind of did and he actually got even something of a buff i think with his v skill and whatnot um, Birdie has been talked about in that kind of general tier range. Um, and then you have like Akuma, Rashid. And and um, I'm not going to presume to know who's on top right now. I think a lot of those are good candidates. But the fact of the matter is, as I think about it and go, well, what if Birdie is the best? And as I understand how Birdie is right now, or what if, what if Rashid or what if Bison are the best? That's not really an issue for me because I don't see them as so far ahead of everybody else that that's going to be a right. problem. It's like someone's got to be on top and... If that's the top guy or the top girl character, that's fine for me. Right. I, don't, I definitely don't think Bison is. I think Bison was the initial, uh, you know, when the patch notes come out, people are placing On their paper, bets. Everyone and they say, it. oh, yeah. Bison is improved and he was already good. He must be the best. I don't think that V skill so far has, I've only seen it done twice online and it missed. And I've never seen a top level Bison use it in a tournament. So I really don't see how that's actually influencing his gameplay uh, when you know, it actually comes down to playing in a real match. So I think he he's still solid, still very strong, but I don't think he's shooting to the top. And as far as Birdie goes, that brings up an interesting point with the whole uh, how we let Japanese 
players yes. in the Japanese scene influence our opinions because I I think Birdie is always at the top of every Japanese player or like the Tapanga tier list always plays him very high. And I think Birdie is very strong, and I think he counters a lot of the traditional top-tier characters, which is why I think they often place him very high. But is he actually that good? <laughs> I think he's crazy strong. I think he's in the top 10. But is he actually number one, or does he just beat every other top-tier character that top Japanese players usually gravitate towards? And I think it's that. I think that's the reason he tends to stand out on those tier lists so much. Yeah, probably good to have as a pocket to counter any like terrible matchups that you have against yeah. the top tiers. Yeah. I think he breaks the top tier meta, and I think he has since season two. I mean, we saw that with Mena just running through everybody. I think he counters Ibuki, counters Kami, um, Karen. has options. Oh, definitely Karen has options against uh, Akuma and Rashid. You know, he has tools to beat a lot of the tools that those characters are abused to constantly seal turns and get pressure. So he's kind of like the great equalizer, but I, he also has bad matchups. I'm sure, he gets zoned out. Is he as good as people make him out to be? I don't know. And that also makes me want to discuss how uh, they place other characters a lot lower, like G and Cody. I I was so mad when I saw G that low. I was like, I, I'm sorry, Tokido, Bonchan, Fudo, all of you guys. Um, I'm I'm in no position to tell you you're freaking wrong, but you're freaking wrong, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, but what do you think about G? I think, well, I'm biased. I think G destroys Balrog, and I don't. I feel like the moment I say that, a lot of G mains are gonna be like, "No, no way, Balrog <laughs> blows up G, yada yada." But this, this, when you discuss the meta and the matchup between characters, it depends on what tools you're effectively using, right? And I don't think G players are abusing his jab buffers enough. I think his light punch buttons are some of the most broken tools in the entire game. If you look at the hitbox and hurtboxes of those jabs, they extend way past the hand the, the hitbox does. The hurtbox is only exposed for one frame after the active frames end and then immediately retreats, meaning you're not going to whiff punish it. It's There's no extended hurtbox besides one frame. So if you clip that, it's luck because you can't react to that. And it also means he can stuff things with... If your move has an active hitbox in front of it, but you have a hurtbox behind it, he can reach into you, stab your hurtbox before your hitbox reaches him because he doesn't have an extended hurtbox, which means if I'm playing Balrog and I dash punch and he presses jab, his jab wins. If I press any button, his button, his jab wins. And what he do, what you do from that is you buffer into your EX uh, EX rush punch, regular rush punch, level up, and you rinse and repeat until I'm in the corner. Then you have well, it takes exactly one rinse and repeat to get you to the corner, and, and exactly. you know, a good third of your life is gone. And yes, he's an offensive monster. So on top of doing the jab buffers, what that means is you're not doing any kind of commitment on the ground. Whiffing a jab with a buffer behind it behind it means you can always anti air. There's no overextension. So if you just buffer jab and anti air, the moment you clip something. You get to the corner and you run your offense. But if I try to jump at you, if I try to somehow mix you up, you're not committing to anything that's going to leave you punished. I have to take way more risk in order to get the momentum going uh, than the G player does. So I think G's neutral is really undervalued by a lot of people. So he has super safe neutral, and then he converts that to insane offensive pressure. And that's all before V-Trigger starts. I feel like when a character's biggest weakness is like well but he doesn't have or she doesn't have good um, defense you know or like akuma's life is low so it justifies all the tools that they have it's like 
Well, sure, there's something on the other side of the balance scale to try to balance things out, but I don't like that it's just that his defense isn't very good and then he gets all of these things. I don't feel like that's a very good approach or design. And and so if there's a character that I do take issue with this season, he's definitely um, the one. Right. I'm sure he has plenty of bad matchups as well. So I, I'm, you know, I'm biased. I play Strider and he just destroys my Rog now. I used to always beat his Laura and that was already a bad matchup for Rog. And now he switched to G and I, I can't get in. It's it's just mind boggling how controlled the neutral is with just a few few simple tools. But bringing this back to the Japanese tier list discussion, I think this shows that the the tools and the, the the mechanics that Japanese players value in a character, and I think they still see G as being more of a, a gambling risk taking character um, who doesn't have control. Because I think they seem to value control, having a reversal, and being able to switch things back to neutral in case something goes wrong. And I think they're really, really undermining. Well, with what you just said, that tells me he has a ton of control, right? Because he's also always has his eyes on the air easily. And his, his anti-airs are really good. He doesn't have a DP, but is it back medium punch? It's back heavy punch. If he lands a back heavy punch at the right angle, if, especially if he's already leveled up once you're taking 30% free. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I expect a lot from that character, and we're I think we're seeing plenty of them, especially with people like Gustavo and Smug, just right off right. the bat playing him. It's like I'm he's the he's the guy that I'm afraid of. I'm still a little worried about Rashid and, and such, but Akuma up there too. But but yeah, G is the he's on my radar the most. Yeah, I'm really surprised Strider didn't make top eight. Actually, I thought I, I think he kind of played poorly against Tampa Bison at final round. That's his match out of pools. Um, I thought for sure. I think if you beat Tampa Bison, he would have gotten top eight free. I, I I see Strider potentially winning, or at least going really far in some premier events. I think this character is going to catch a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you bring up uh, Strider, uh, eight hundred one Strider slash uh, Gustavo. That's all the same person for those of you that might not know that. But uh, mm-hmm. we recently saw a video from final round where Strider was arm wrestling someone, and if I'm not mistaken, were you in the background of that? Oh yeah, I got caught up in all that. Yeah, I actually went after. I, you know, I'm not a so fan of arm wrestling. So my question was going to be, when are we going to get the Brian F versus Gustavo arm wrestling? Was that not recorded? Why didn't I see that? No, I think I went up against Ultimizer. Listen, I'm not a fan of arm wrestling. Ever since I saw the videos of everyone snapping their arms in half sure. from <laughs> from arm wrestling, I I. I uh, listen, I already put enough strain on my hands. I don't need my arms snapping in half and yeah. trying to trying to out strong arm somebody in a bar at 3 a.m. So it's, it's not my forte, but I think uh, Gustavo handled Travis Styles pretty well there, and I don't think I stand a chance if I'm going to be quite honest. <laughs> well, after a little while longer, uh, you know, um, for those of you that haven't seen or, or know Brian, uh, he is, you know, you work out regularly, you're on a, now I, I remember you saying that you were vegan, but has that been updated to vegetarian? No, I just went back to just eating freely um yeah i did the vegan thing for a while and uh that was right before i started traveling so uh doing some research into it i figured i kind of wanted to try it just because i figured uh you know if you really think about it i don't think the entire planet can support eating like an american uh yeah. we live a very lavish lifestyle and uh i think our gratuitous meat consumption kind of shows how wealthy of a country we are and something had to give it's either the rest of the world um, either we eat less 
meat products and less animal products or, you know, the planet can't sustain the rest of the world catching up to our quality of life. So mm-hmm. I figured why not give it a go and I was fine doing it and I felt good doing it. And so I just stuck with it um, until I started traveling. And the problem is you have to cook to eat good while, while being vegan because, you know, America is all about meat here and processed dairy products and everything like that. So I ended up eating worse while being vegan while traveling at some points because what was I going to eat? when I'm on the road, don't have a car, don't have time. Sometimes you're in food deserts when you're at these oh events. My gosh. You're in the this middle of nowhere. This can be the worst when they don't. It's like the hotel lobby is all that there is unless right. you want to start venturing around with an Uber or something like mm-hmm. that. And then the level up from that is, well, there's a McDonald's or a Spondovitz outside of the final round venue, right? Right. So Sometimes I found myself just like packing trail mix and cliff bars and living on that, which is kind of what I did even before going vegan at some of these events just because it was cheaper. Um, but back when I was in college and going to like final round and CEO, uh, but yeah, I just got too, too difficult. I felt like, and I felt like I was eating worse. Um, but I still tried to come prepare with snacks. I, I, I pretty much pack for tournaments like I'm camping. So I'm a big fan of bringing my backpack with my giant bottle of water, right? Lots of trail mix, lots of cliff bars, water to stay hydrated. Cause I mean, you're stuck. If, if you're going to play and trying to grind those casuals, I mean, you go to that venue and you're stuck there all day yep all weekend sometimes oh yeah um so the reason i bring that up is to ask well were you playing competitively or really paying attention to uh you know trying to level up in the grind before you started eating uh, especially healthy and if so have you noticed a difference in your performance after beginning to you know work out and eat healthy and and kind of watch what you're consuming Hmm. it's hard to say because i feel like i i started paying more attention to uh, my health and learning how to cook and just eat cheaper and healthier ever since like uh, my senior year of high school. So that's right when I started picking up Street Fighter 4 just casually. Um, so it, it's just kind of just part of my life. I just try to, uh, it's always cheaper to cook and I think it's just a life skill you just need to know and and it saves you money and you can eat better and and feel better about yourself. So it's, I wouldn't say I could trace a certain correlation between performance and fitness with, with in terms of competitive fighting games. It's just always been part of my life, but I'm sure I'd be burnt out considering, um, you know, I work and then I stream and then I travel for tournaments. It's a pretty busy schedule. I'm, I'm sure it helps keep me going. Um, cause I can't imagine being out of shape and eating fast food all the time and trying to maintain, this lifestyle I'm living, eating that way. Yeah, just get that itis right in the middle of a match. It's no go. Oh, yeah. More recently, you were at final round, and you did pretty darn well, I might say. Not too uh, bad. This is, this is with Balrog. Yeah, you made it all the way into top eight. Mm-hmm. Now, you've done that before, but have you done that at such a big tournament? Because like, this well, is a super premiere this year, right? N- well, it's a regular premiere, not super premiere. So, oh, okay, regular yeah, premiere. The super premieres are like Evo... And I think an unannounced Japanese finals. tournament, yeah, and yeah the Japanese American tournament regional. and North America regional finals. So there's three super premieres, um, that new category for this season. But it is this one was a premiere and uh, one with a lot of legacy. You know, final round was always one of the most uh, infamous tournaments. 
look at the people that were there, especially at the kickoff event, and that normally is final round for the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. You're going to have everyone that you know, everyone that's everyone from all right. around the world is going to be there. It's, I mean, we call them basically like mini Evos. Although right. looking at the NCR brackets, it's just about the same. That's kind of where the Pro Tour has evolved to. That like, yeah, there's going to be instead of one or two killers per pool, there's easily four, and to get out of pools and make it even just one or two rounds after that is a feat in and of itself. We saw Tokido go out at, I think, like 25th place. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a ton of really big names that were not in top eight. And we actually had um, a handful of American players in the top eight, despite right. having all of these others. Uh, there was yourself. There was Punk. Uh, Tampa Bison was there. Um, but what was your what was your um, your path into top eight like? Like, what was your final round experience as far as the competition went? Right. So my, you know, to get into top eight of a premiere like that, I played six matches so it's pretty interesting i I, yeah i kind of want to put that in perspective for people i think a lot of people don't really know like what goes into placing that high at a premiere and um i think a lot of people don't have this perspective on how stacked these events are and how many killers fall before you get to the end and uh, part of that is the the advantage of staying in winners bracket. I only had to play six matches because I stayed in winners uh, to top eight. But if I'd gone to losers at any one of those points, your matches double, quadruple. The, the mm-hmm. path is becomes exponentially more difficult. And uh, I kind of just want to bring up how um, people sometimes only look at the, the top eight and they go, "Wow, this is a weird top eight. Where is so and so?" Oh, this tournament is free. My my so and so favorite <laughs> player isn't there, and this happens every single tournament. And every single CPT event has almost like eighty percent of of overlap. Like the same, I see the same people every other weekend, and they're from from Japan, from Korea, from the UK. I see these guys every other weekend. We peop, these people are grinding every single CPT event. So when people say, oh, so-and-so wasn't in top eight, this tournament's kind of free, you just don't know that that player that you're kind of you know throwing aside and dismissing their skill, they actually beat your favorite player in pools. You, you just didn't see it on stream. Hmm. Um, people don't really, I think there's a real like lack of perception of how many killers just go out early from the up-and-coming player that people haven't really heard of or I mean, sometimes, like, I'm looking at the Event Hub's results. It goes to 97. Sometimes these people don't even make 97th on Event Hub's, and and they got top eight at a premiere uh, last week. You know, in that kind of conversation, one of the first things that's going to come up is, like, well, is that a testament to the randomness of Street Fighter V, that anyone can just Mm -hmm. come in and win? Now, with what we've talked about with Season 4 thus far, I feel like I kind of already know the answer to that, and it being like, well, not so much. We've kind of evened out those things, and maybe that would be a thing in Season 2 when you had stuff like throw loops and the robbery Mm -hmm. characters and whatnot. But here in Season 4, how... How well-earned versus how lucky or random um, are are these results for people? I think it's twofold. So because CPT has grown to the point where... Okay, if if anyone listening has been around the FGC for at least like since 2009, think about like 2011 when Sako was at an American tournament. It was only Sako. There wasn't any other Japanese player. There wasn't any other international player there. People were like, wow... This, this Japanese god is at an American event. Let me tune into that. Sako is at every single tournament. I see him every other weekend. I see 
Daigo every other weekend. I see Fudo, I see Gachikun, I see Idizan, I see every single one of these players are at every single tournament. So the the level of the players at every event is through the roof. It doesn't go down per event. It's just constantly at this insanely high level where the best in the world are constantly beating each other up, trying to have that lucky weekend where they are the best that weekend. So that's a huge difference that I don't think a lot of people who don't grind these events really understand is that it's just killers everywhere and they all go to every event. So that's that's one side of it. On the other hand, you can say that with Street Fighter V, I do think that some of the skill ceiling was kind of squashed because you can say metrics like um, execution, uh, except for a few handful of characters and scenarios, it's there's less to to expand upon in terms of I can execute this harder combo than you, so I'm better in that metric, right? Um, but I don't think Street Fighter V as a whole has really shrunk that much, the skill ceiling. There is some. It's a little bit more compressed, so it's harder to be consistent. But I really, no one is, no one's that random <laughs> getting these results. And um, a lot of the top players who went out at like 25th or whatever, 33rd, they lost to maybe one upset and then they eliminated each other. So I beat Daigo, then Daigo lost to Fudo. Um, I know that Itazan went to losers from losing 801 Strider and then he eliminated Nemo, right? So these one upsets boil over because there's so many amazing players at every event that they all have to start eliminating each other off stream. You don't see what happens. And there's a element of, uh, you can question some consistency in Street Fighter V, but I think you just have to ease the boundaries at which you judge it. It's not, I always win every event. It's, I always lose to another top 30 player. Right, either I win or I've lost to some guy who could also potentially win. You have to kind of ease how you judge top players in Street Fighter Five because there's just too much competition happening at every event. When you were coming up for your top eight match at final round, I was watching the live stream and Ultra David said that he had spoken to you. Um, I don't remember the exact words that he used, but he said something to the effect that you had told him that when he asked, how'd you get here to top eight? you said, well, the reads were kind of in my favor. Uh, was that, I mean, is, is that accurate as to what you told them? And, and is that how you kind of felt? Or were you being like a little facetious? Or, or how did that go down? Right. I mean, it's a little facetious, but it's also true. Um, I, I'm definitely not at the level of a lot of the players in that top eight in terms of consistency. So uh, for me to have a weekend like that, it's definitely possible. It's just I have to, things have to line up. And I think... A lot of players also don't realize that that's just kind of how it is. Unless you're so good that you can make it happen consistently. Sometimes you just have to have a weekend where you're playing well. You know, the, the moon and the stars aligned. You had the right breakfast. The, the wind was blowing in the right direction. And things just kind of went your way. Because small changes of momentum can translate to to moving far in a bracket. And things that day that on pools went really well for me. I mean, after my Daigo match... I won the next three sets 0-2 or 2-0. and um, So it just, things were just lining up. And I think it's, you know, I just kind of came off the other tirade of saying it's not random, but sometimes you people are winning on such a razor-thin edge that if you can maintain these small little victories and small little um, reads that you made in a set, that can translate to going far in a premiere. 
premier bracket. Um, so I'm kind of honest with my level. I'm not going to consistently get top eight, most likely. But I just know that if I have a good day, there's there's nobody I can't beat in a first of two. Am I going to beat everyone consistently? No, I'm not there yet, right? But I know that it can happen, and it's only a first of two. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard that kind of sentiment before, too, is like especially if it's just a first to two. Um, you know, any given Sunday kind of a kind of an attitude, and that really reigns true for this game. Um, with Balrog and how he is in Season 4, first of all, you're one of the last remaining Balrog players. We had Smug mm-hmm. jump over to G, and we had right. um, PR Balrog way back in the day jump over to Akuma. I guess right. you have, is it is it Nathan? Or Nigel, sorry, Nigel. Nigel, yes. Yeah, Nigel's on the come up. So, so he's he's definitely there too, um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure there are a handful more. But like as far as Balrog goes, you're one of the faithful that stuck through him or stuck right. with him through the years. Where do you kind of feel like the character lands on the tier list right now here in season four? I wouldn't say I'm faithful. I would just say I'm too stupid and stubborn to to learn another top tier character. I'm I'm so. the same way with Nikali. <laughs> I should have jumped ship when you did, man. Right, <laughs> exactly. That well, that was easy for me because Nikali was boring and I always played Rog. But even then, I said Nikali was too good for me to give up for for season one Rog. I'd be dumb to do that, and I ended up just doing it. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm. I respect you sticking with Rog, and it's more, eh, well, you know how scary it is to pick up a new character and suck and go to travel across the country and lose while you're trying to get to that level with a new character? It's more that I'm too much of a punk to be able to to stick with it. Um, but, you know, I think as far as Balrog's strength in Season 4, I think things are way improved because he had only two buffs, uh, maybe three buffs, but, like, the, the major one that I think is influencing him is his EX dash straight on hit. The high low resets are now the real. So if I do EX dash straight on hit and go into an overhead, previously if you mashed your three frame, you would interrupt it. Um, actually, no, sorry. The overhead you could always counter hit three frame on mash, but the empty low would lose to mashing three frame or even four frame. Um, you couldn't counter hit people's buttons doing the low reset. Now. There's more advantage on hit, so the high lows will beat any buttons. So that means any random hit, if I really want to get nutty with it, I can start doing overhead low, low, overhead, you know, just burning my bar on these resets, and it'll get real nutty. But that also lets him combo into his target combo on hit, and so he gets more damage from a lot of little scenarios and real resets, which is nice. And that's definitely an improvement, but the big changes are the top tier got nerfed. Mm Mm-hmm. He was so not in the meta in season three. Every single top tier character beat him. It was just there. There was no tournament you're going to go to. Okay, except for Guile, he did well against Guile. But there was no tournament you're going to go to where you're not going to fight a Cami. You're not going to fight an Abigail. You're not going to fight Rashid, Akuma, Ibuki. They all beat Rog. They they were just better characters, and. The, the season was so condensed with everyone playing these top tier characters. And they were, if you got to top 32, you were running into three, four, or five camis. And that matchup was terrible in season three. And it just, what, what are you doing playing Balrog in season three? There was just no chance, I think, unless you had one lucky day. Like Smug had his lucky day at E League, right? Um, but could he repeat that run every single time? I mean, Smug's amazing. I don't want to discredit him. He's, he, I learned a lot watching him. And he's very inspiring, but you know that's it was crazy because it was season three rock. It's like a once in a blue moon sort of ordeal. It wasn't um, something that you could uh, reliably recreate with that character in that in that meta. 
Yeah, and it truly felt like that. I remember that day. Well, it was also kind of controversial because there was the whole like they took a they took an ad break in grand finals and right. squashed his momentum. Right, mm-hmm. that's the reason why I lost. Uh, but yeah, I, you didn't see him recreate that. Uh, certainly not with that kind of competition. Um, any other time that I can recall. So yeah, right. it did seem like it was a kind of a one-off thing. Um, and of course, yeah, Smug is a is a great player and and is is notable and and famous for you know appropriate reasons. I wanted to get into how enjoyable the game is to essentially watch right now. After watching mm-hmm. Final Round, it seems like we have the game that we want, right? And we've mm-hmm. talked about this on the site. I've talked about it in the podcast a few episodes now. But I wanted to get your opinion. It feels like this is a really like friendly game in terms of what we would want to watch. It's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, the balance is pretty good there. And especially watching Punk Man with those one-hit confirms, that was oh, inspiring. Um, since that, since final t- final rounds top eight, all I've done with the game is done the uh, the training room, put your uh, opponent on block randomly, and try to right. do one-hit confirms with Karen. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other pros, or I've seen pros do that as well. I think Luffy was on uh, posted on Twitter shortly thereafter, practicing one-hit confirms veggie, and I've heard other people mm-hmm. talking about doing so. So it seems like. The game's in a really good place, but at the same time, you have this wave of negativity, and Street Fighter V has really not been charismatic. It's dropped the ball right. a lot more often than not. And so you have a lot of people that, I guess, might not be giving it a chance or looking mm-hmm. at it as it exists now, and instead they're looking at it with these like negative lenses. Um, right. But what, how do you feel about where it is and how... I don't want to say how people should be feeling about it, but... Like, I mean, is it something that, like, is it where it needs to be? And should we be upset with, you know, things like lack of reveals or lack of communication from Capcom? Well, I feel like season four, like we mentioned before, I think it's in a good place. And at this point, the the game is what it is. Capcom has made it clear what type of game they want it to be. They're not doing any crazy drastic changes from season to season. I think people are just bitter and upset that this game was different and mm-hmm. uh, I think that happens with every main Street Fighter iteration where there's a group of people who just refuse to move on and my my favorite Street Fighter is the best Street Fighter and this one is the worst but on top of that Street Fighter 5 Vanilla was probably the worst product I've ever seen released under the moniker of Street Fighter and uh, under the guise of being a professional $60 AAA video game release I mean Street Fighter 5 launch I cannot overstate how botched and how i mean i felt like a moron paying 60 dollars for street fighter 5 when it came out there were and there's 30 so bucks for the many, season pass shortly thereafter right? so many problems so many problems that i almost forget how many problems there were because sometimes i see clips of my own stream and i'm like wow this game worked that way the online constantly disconnected rage quitters went unpunished root kits were being installed on pc <laughs> ba bam every single time you went online everywhere uh, the game was just a mess, and that stigma is going to last forever. There's no way you can move past that. So I think I think the the botched Street Fighter Five launch really just just hamstring and just crippled this franchise. And this is that's something that Street Fighter Five will never move past. And I think a lot of people who are negative about this game are stuck at that time mentally, and or they just simply are the normal group of people who don't want to move on, right? So I think there's two 
groups of people that were screwed over by this. The, the normal group of people who are always going to give up on the latest version because it's not my game, you got back in my day. And then the group of people who were willing to give it a chance, the casuals, but you kind of ruined it by releasing a crap product on release. So mm-hmm. I think that is always going to stain Street Fighter V. But as far as if you're a regular player of the game, you've already looked past all that. And you're if you're constantly talking about fix this, fix that, at this point, I'm just exhausted. I, I don't want to spend any more mental energy theory fighting on how the game should be because I think we've done that for three years and I've been guilty of partaking in those discussions. And, you know, I still give out balanced opinions and things that I, small things I want to see tweaked, but man, there's, there's still people to this day who are doing essays and just analyzing how to fix Street Fighter V when maybe there's nothing to be fixed. This is the game they wanted to make and it is what it is. And at this point, either you like it, you don't, you're free to compete, free to play, or you're free to spectate, or just not participate, and that's okay too. So I'm, I'm just, I'm okay with how the game is now. I might not always have the best time. I'm a salty online player myself, so you know I have my own emotions to get in check. But at the end of the day, I like Street Fighter Five, and I think there's a real stigma in saying that. <laughs> I see, you go to our Street Fighter every other day. There's some guy saying, "I like Street Fighter Five. Is there something wrong with me? <laughs> what's wrong what with that is am i supposed game? to take yeah right where do i get to the uh, the rehab class for people exactly who Street Fighter 5? The, the 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 conversation on the game has gotten so crazy that it you're just viewed as dumb for liking the game and the game is okay it's not perfect but it's not the worst thing ever now as a product it was at one point but i enjoy the gameplay and sometimes when i'm like ah, i'm not gonna play today i actually find myself craving playing the game i go into really? training mode i'm just going to do a little bit of training here and there then i'm like huh it'd be cool to play against a person trying this like those ideas are actually those emotions are hitting me which um i think is a good sign it's not that's just like a the main sign i think that right. it's like how much are you driven to turn that on when you could be playing anything else as a gamer you probably have a right. whole bunch of other games pc and playstation mm-hmm. 4 and whatever you have a lot of options is that mm-hmm. going to take your time or something else but if it is the thing that takes your time I think that's that that's speaking more than anything you could you know even say, right? So. And well, my perspective is a little bit skewed too because I'm not just uh, playing the game for fun. You know, there's something greater that I think everyone who goes to these CPT events is chasing. It's it's a bigger idea than just playing for fun. Um, I find myself if I try to play a game casually, I think I could be practicing right now. I could be mm-hmm. doing something that is furthering my goals um, rather than just actually killing time to to decompress and relax so i kind of suffer from that to an extent i have plenty of games that i've downloaded purchased over the years and i just don't play play a little bit and i'm like oh okay well time to practice street fighter 5 time to stream to time to make some content time to further my goals because i think um you know capcom really tapped into that that small minority of crazy people who want to really pursue something with this and you know we're we're all crazy, and I see these guys every every other weekend. I think there's a real camaraderie with the the CPT players who go out of their way and travel, and and uh, you know we really bond over this stupid passion of trying to beat each other up in a video game and be the best at it and chase that taste of glory. So you know we're a little bit different in the head than casual people just trying to press buttons for fun. And I can sympathize with that through and through for sure. Um, so here's a recent tweet that you posted. 
Um, and I just want to read it off to you here and, and see where, where we go. So it says, I had so many people tell me Street Fighter V was going to be for the OGs, that my brain-dead Street Fighter IV ROG wouldn't make it in five, that five was real footsies, and four ROG carried my neutral. How did that all turn out? LMAO, oh, 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 oh. You know, I, I had the exact same kind of conversations mm-hmm. going around in my circles. And, um, and there was, a, you never, you never loved in your hometown is what it seems like. But there were, uh, and, and also I got to say that the Arizona fighting game community, I feel very loved and appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that there were a lot of people that said, you know, people like, uh, you know, Velociraptor and Driftwood, who was my main training partner, mm-hmm. they're good in four because they've, you know, they figured out what, what's good in four, but this is not going to translate outside of that atmosphere. And um, I mean, in certain ways they were kind of right, in other ways they weren't. But when you wrote this, what what exactly were you uh, were you thinking? Well, it's a bit to part of it is the idea that you mentioned that people don't see or respect talent or results from players. But there's also the hint of irony where uh, everyone thought this was going to be a purely neutral based game, and mm-hmm. um, it's going to be real solid fundamentals. When obviously it's not. It's it's just not there's there's very strong neutral elements and that's a big component of it but it's not a hundred percent what the game is there's obviously a lot of guessing and reads and conditioning involved with that and uh, so so a lot of it's the irish hail marys from from out of nowhere right exactly sometimes you just gotta do it and I think this game teaches you to believe and and going for it right and that takes balls you know i played street fighter 4 i i did rocks overhead like three times in, ter- in tournament in street fighter 4 <laughs> i was a very very cautious and safe player in 4 all about defensive control anti-airing maintaining space getting my safe offense and then backing off when it didn't work out um i played textbook as textbooks as you could see the complete opposite of pierre rog who i would see do all this crazy offense and i'm like what are you thinking how is this working what yeah and then five is wake up you know (laughs) oh of course yeah and then five said you have to play this way or else you're going to get nowhere um so part of that was that tweet was yeah it's a little bit funny that the ogs who showed up for a month are gone and the game didn't play out at all like they said and the other part is funny to me is that you know i've been I just worked through it and I proved that if I continue to work at this, I can make things happen. And I think that for some reason, it's just in psychology, I think people just don't want to respect people who are doing well. And and Street Fighter 4 Rog was kind of annoying. You know, he had a lot of weird weight, his wake up animation pushed people out so they got less pressure. He had armor on all his normals and he had a 2.5 frame jab. And, you know, he people could see he was a little bit scrubby, even though he wasn't a tournament winning character. He, you know, he, there were some things about him that he didn't have to worry about compared to other characters. And people will just find any excuse to discredit your success or your results. Well, or, yeah, especially if they haven't deemed you worthy of it yet. Right. If Daigo wins with a with a seemingly random uppercut, it's because it's a new may show you. But mm-hmm. if somebody so, you know, that's not known wins, it's because they got lucky. And, of and that's gonna be there for forever until you ultimately prove yourself to the masses or you just don't care what the masses have to exactly. say. Exactly. And w- what proves to them is arbitrary, right? There's this arbitrary point where it's like, okay, you've earned my respect, so now your decisions make sense to me versus uh, before you're just a random scrub and you got lucky. And, you know, I sort of get that to an extent. You Fighting games, 
there's guessing involved. So uh, you want to see if someone can repeat success. I get that. But I also see that with other up and coming players and other people who travel to all these CPT events. You know, if you scroll down to like the 33rd, the 49s, the 65s, those are people that I see every single week. And a lot of players who, or a lot of people who just watch streams, watch the top eight, stream monster, and they see a few pools matches, they're not really like in the thick of it. They're not mm-hmm. at the pool station seeing, oh, my my boy from from Florida over there just beat uh, international player. Oh, the guy from the Midwest that no one else knows about just beat so-and-so t- top American player, right? You don't see that. And sometimes unless you scroll through the results, you don't know what went down. And uh, these people just get disrespected all the time by people who just sit on their ass and they don't do a damn thing. And it's like, do you know the level of work, the level of time and dedication that they put in just to get that small amount of success? You know, they they would destroy you. And it's just, I, I can't stand that mentality of people who don't put anything on the line discrediting other people who go out of the way to travel, but their, their hard-earned money, unsponsored, just doing it for the love of the game. And trying to get better and then there's other people who just dismiss that because they don't meet some arbitrary requirement to earn respect and so you see that all the time and i've been on that receiving end so i always try to stick up for the players who are on the grind and you know really trying to make something happen and uh, you know d- defend them defend their honor yeah. from the the vicious stream monsters who discredit anyone's success call it random or say it's not earned if you live on the coast and you get to play with other guys and, and girls in NorCal or SoCal or if you, you know in New York, mm-hmm. even in Florida, do you have an advantage over the people in the middle of the country or in other in other uh, areas that don't have as quite a, a strong a local scene? I think having a strong local scene mattered more in four because mm-hmm. in five, I mean, I <laughs> I played in Street Fighter Four. I played so much offline. I grinded that game every single event I could find in Florida. Um, I would be in Miami when I'm on break from college, locals in Miami. During university, I'm in the middle of the state. I would go to Orlando, go to Tallahassee, go to Tampa. Just anywhere I could find games, find events, I was there. I would just play, 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 play. Uh, My friend JC, who went to University of Florida with me, he's the guy who kind of got me out of being like 2.5K player points, doing random overheads online to actually playing (laughs) Street Fighter IV, the real game. You know, he beat me until my mentally broke and had to pick my brain off off the floor and start over and uh, play for hours. But in Street Fighter V, I moved to the Midwest and there was a small local scene up here for a little while that kind of died off. And I just played online, just grinding online, 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 ranked, 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 finding people through ranked, finding people in, in the scene on Twitter, setting up sets and grinding those sets. And I think now it doesn't really matter as much where you're from. What does matter is your reputation, your exposure to the community, your brand building. Those are still very much tied to these established scenes. And what that also feeds is your seeding in tournaments. So I see all the time people from the Midwest who I know for a fact, no disrespect, are better than some of these seeded players. But they get the harder. Yeah, pull. I still get seated sometimes, just because I probably just because my legacy. Right. You have four, legacy, but it's like this is a completely different thing. I, you know? I honestly like, think most of the people doing seating, um, besides like the CPT obvious top players, I think a lot of it's the people who don't. I, I know I get this feeling that they don't watch Street Fighter Five. I get the feeling that mm-hmm. they don't know, they don't have their nose in the scene, they don't really see what's going on, and I see so many players get 
impossible brackets. I mean, stuff that some people's pool paths because of bad seeding are harder than what I did to get top eight of final round. So that's another point mm-hmm. I bring up. It's bracket luck. It's your seeding. It's how you're playing that day. And sometimes you just get a messed up path. And I think if you're on these coasts and you have this exposure, um, you know, you say, oh, I did pretty good at Wednesday night fights a few times or NLBC a few times. And you know my name, you know who I am. And then suddenly your, your pools get a little easier. Suddenly you're not facing your worst matchup in winner's finals and you can uh, maybe move on and collect a few handful of CPT points. But if you're a killer in the Midwest and whoever, whatever random event you're going to, the seeder doesn't know who you are and you didn't necessarily collect a lot of CPT points last season, uh, then yeah, you got Daigo first round and Fudo second, you know. GG's, man. And then, and then you went 0-2. Yeah, and, and you're a scrub because you lost to the two best players in the world. Sounds about right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts of what's on the horizon in terms of a Street Fighter Six or a sequel? Um, does your brain go there very often, or are you still very much focused on everything that's in front of you right now? I don't think about anything regarding updates until I turn on my PS4 and it starts downloading mm-hmm. something. So, no, I don't, I don't go there at all. Um, I mean, part of it is I just don't believe Capcom with anything or I don't believe any rumors because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Uh, Capcom has promised so many things with Street Fighter V that never happened. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to have like three parts to a story mode. That never happened. There's no, there's just a laundry list of things that were promised that never happened. So why would I believe x rumors about all these V-triggers or, or anything like that happening with the game? Um, and part of that is, you know, I don't want to be disappointed, but I also don't really care that much. I view most DLC characters as homework. Oh, great. Yeah, Time to learn to, that. Let's learn another matchup. Let, let me not get randomed out online day one by someone spamming a move that I haven't uh, labbed yet and figured out how to counter. So uh, as a competitive player, I think more and more characters becomes more and more matchups to worry about and more variability in how you're going to be performing. So I don't really care too much for updates. I I care about them delivering on their word to people, um, Capcom as a company, to restore faith in the community and keep the image of Street Fighter V up because I feel like things were on the upturn with the Season 3 reveal at Capcom Cup 2017. Yeah. That was incredible. When they had the whole video animation for the upcoming season that was amazing season three i hated the balance but the character reveals were done extremely well and it felt like this was like a real game and then they set up this expectation for that to follow then season four that they're dropping the ball again so i don't actually care about not having the characters but i care about the mood it sets for casual people for for audience we've well established in this talk here that the season four and that the game is in a pretty damn good place right to play and to watch but it feels like there's still this sense of like it's like a lukewarm atmosphere when you would think well now that we have everything that we need to enjoy this uh we should be enjoying it and i wonder how Mm -hmm. far like maybe that's just something that i'm seeing mostly in my local areas and such but i wonder if you're feeling that too or seeing that no i mean i see it i I don't feel Mm -hmm. that way because I don't care. I'm. I'm not. I don't need to be spoon-fed content 24/7 for me to find depth and new things to explore in the game. Right. I'm a competitive player, so that's what I look to is to to compete. As long as there's somebody out there who's beating me, there's something new for me to do. <laughs> right. That it never ends. But you know, 99.999% of the people are not that type of person. They're looking for 
the season pass, so looking for the next DLC character to be announced. And they set up this expectation. They 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 created this own problem. I mean, we went with Street Fighter Four for updates like two years at a time, three years yeah. at a time, and it was fine. Tournaments were growing, people were competing, the hype was still there, but that's because they didn't say, "Hey, every other every couple of months we're going to put out a DLC character." But now that they established that as the standard, people expect that they're not following through, and now Street Fighter Five is dead in the eyes of that person on Twitter who every time CPT announces something for an event, they spam, "Where's season four? <laughs> I mean, that's the type of dude you're trying to trying to please. And I mean, I don't. <laughs> unfortunately, that's the majority of people. That guy who just spams every unrelated post with some kind of meme about Street Fighter Five. Yes, yeah. yes. And you know, so I'm I'm trying to balance this one as a competitive player, but also very much now as a journalist that's writing about these things, right? And trying to keep people updated on what's mm-hmm. going on, trying to get my finger on the pulse of the community, saying like what the people right. are thinking and such. And I have found myself having to just completely temper my expectations because it has been i expect this every few months to get something some kind of information that we're looking forward to and we've just been on this on this kind of wave where we're like yeah we need a new thing every so often if we're not getting that the game feels dead Mm. and and so now i'm at a place where since we haven't gotten anything in a while it's either the game is dead or i can take it as it is right now and I think that, like, right. I, I'm, I'm really, you know, as much as Event Hubs, we've, we've certainly, like, well, Xkira says this might be coming out, and, and here's what happened last year at this event, so maybe this will happen too. And, you know, here's Ono with this mm-hmm. Blanca doll doing nothing, you know. But, uh, but, we're, <laughs> but we really have, like, that's been the pulse of the community is looking forward mm-hmm. to what the next thing is. And I think that Capcom set that expectation and then failed to hit it. But, I, right. I mean, I, I can't say it enough that I do think that we as a community, like if you don't like Street Fighter V, if you can articulate why, that's totally fine. That's your prerogative. Mm -hmm. But if you don't like Street Fighter V because you wanted, uh, because of the expectation of new characters or new content and you're not getting that, it's like, wait, rewind. Because you could, like you said, enjoy Street Fighter IV when we weren't getting constant stuff. And the game is an enjoyable game right now. So please don't tragically hate the game because of this expectation thing of something that really isn't all that important, especially now that we have so much more content in the game. If it was day one release, sure, we don't have enough characters, we don't have enough modes, whatever. But with where we're at now, I really think that it can that it can thrive as it is. And it's like, treat the new characters as bonuses when they come, or, or homework, you know? <laughs> it's like, crap, well, now I have to right. do some more research. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really want to stress that, because I... I and and someone like you who really actively thinks about this stuff and that is really Mm -hmm. involved in it and constantly, you know, like just basically rolling with it. Um, I I just kind of wanted to know how you felt about that. It sounds like it's about, about the same. Right. I mean, but it's also the the era of gaming is different Mm -hmm. than the street fighter four era. I think people just have different expectations of, of what they want in a game and, you know, fighting games are, such a small genre compared to what's out there that you have to do it's it's the old expectation is doesn't apply right so fighting is before you want them to marinate you want a balanced patch to come out and you want you want things to to simmer a little while and you want to see what the sauce cooks up like mm-hmm. and that is just not how modern games work they they're constantly pushing pushing updates pushing new content seasons everywhere um constantly changing the game some way to trick the people who play for a little bit and then quit to keep coming back yeah. and it's that whole model of games as a service 
and Capcom, you know, they they set themselves up to be a service. I don't think they did any of that right. It's a new model for them. They they released Street Fighter V as a full-price game with uh, free-to-play content and beta levels of quality. So they kind of did everything wrong, but this is a service. That's that's the model they're saying this is, and they're not delivering on that. And uh, it's... I, I kind of just sympathize with fighting game developers in the modern era. It's I don't know what needs to be done um, to to keep growing the casual audience besides you know going full Mortal Kombat and actually making a real AAA product. Speaking of Mortal Kombat, though, they they kind of got pinged in the past for doing too many updates, right, and going right. too far into this. Um, like so, maybe that's too much. What MKX was doing is too much. But then, do you feel mm-hmm. like the updates with uh, Street Fighter Five, as they've been one to two a year, are are the right pace, or would you like to see more? Oh yeah, than that? definitely. I mean, I was concerned at first with having yearly updates. Um, <laughs> I I think you can tell I I don't like change too much because sure. changes it's scary, right? But at first I was like, ah, yearly updates. What what if they completely flip everything on its head? And uh, what we've seen is it's pretty mild changes every season. Um, but I still think to an extent that kind of sucks. Uh, I think Daigo had some kind of message about that where esports is more about fighting the developer than fighting the competition at times, <laughs> um, which is a real problem for competitive players. I mean, you can develop your whole strategy, your whole game-winning plan and dominate the world. And then they say, ah, well... We don't like how you're playing this game. Let's let's get rid of that technique. You should be playing it this way. And um, suddenly your stability and success as competitive players is flipped on its head. So uh, from that perspective, I don't like frequent updates. Obviously, like bug fixes or something critical that's obviously broken. I don't mind that stuff getting patched out. Um, but I think I've come to accept the yearly pace of updates and you know, it's a little bit like the lottery every, every year everyone gets to line up and be like, all right, who's the big winners? Who's the big losers? What what did my character get? Um, so it does build hype. I mean, I kind of buy into that a little bit too. It's always fun to get the patch notes and scroll to your character right away and be like, all right, Paul Rock tap his back. Right. And then never see it there ever again. And then to Cammy. Right, and then just to see see exactly, and then I go to the top tier and try to see exactly what got nerfed for all my problem matches. So the early pace I'm fine with, but we definitely need to avoid constant updates. Um, I, I really, you can see that with like even DBFC kind of had that problem, uh-huh. killing people's teams and strategies while the tour was going on. Uh, and I think that's a very hard line for fighting game developers to walk to not kill the competitive scene but also still keep the game in a healthy state and appease casual fans it's kind of scary because it feels like you need to take on this whole sort of season pass approach to thrive in this environment um i'm not 100 percent convinced that that is the only answer right now and and Mm -hmm. it might not be the answer at all for fighting games and talking about it with you it's like well it's kind of scary because maybe this there's just not a place for fighting games in this current kind of climate um but where, where i stand right now i feel that it's probably that we'll need to adopt this model you know we have to make it we tweak it for the fighting game experience because of all the things that you mentioned with how particular we are it's very different than you know a MOBA in in some pretty significant right. ways but I think that you know Capcom kind of started with it with Street Fighter 5 and didn't do an amazing job but the potential is there I think that we mm-hmm. could have like a 
like sort of that like free to play model with with somewhat regular updates and 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 I think that that could be a very good fighting game approach with the appropriate tweaks. I don't right. envy the people that have to actually come up with that and put it in practice and basically risk their professional careers on its success, but right. um I and I think that in the, like that's where the expectation has gone. Street Fighter and and a lot of the other big titles right now, the other companies like Bandai and such have begun down this path. I think that we're going to have to find a successful place on this path otherwise Mm -hmm. i don't know what to expect for fighting games in the coming years to an extent i feel like it's an arbitrary mechanism to keep the game fresh you Uh know you just you say okay every year we have a balance patch even if the game is and the the creator's vision perfect right at what point is it done it's like well let's just mix it up every year keep people coming back keep pumping out characters rotate the top people's dlc rotate some top tiers so hopefully people don't get bored of seeing the same matchups on screen and then competitive players, I hope you're a full-time player, and that's what you do, so you can learn a new character every season. Um, so, yeah, I think this part of it's this arbitrary way to keep interest, which I, I like. I think is maybe slightly necessary to some extent. Like, we need some form of updates to keep the game competitively interesting. Um, but I think the biggest thing fighting games are missing is, you know, the single-player content and the overall experience. And that's why um, you see games like all the NRS games, sell outsell like crazy all the the japanese fighting games yeah all the casuals flock to those yeah just look at mortal Kombat. those story trailers what the hell man how can why can't street fighter 5 have anything near that level and i think that's like the big thing is that hey i'm a casual player i picked up street fighter 5 what there was no arcade mode or oh there's an arcade mode in the ae version okay i beat that now what i have to play online no i don't play online Hmm. i lose online i don't like playing online I want to play story mode, so we just we just need to make it. People people seriously say like, oh, I, this game is not worth sixty dollars. Like any any major fighting game, even Tekken, I I hear stuff like that. This game is not worth sixty dollars, and it's because people don't want to explore the intricacies of the the engine and the character balance where all the effort went into. Mm-hmm. I think Eastern fighting game developers just really need to invest heavily and engaging in complete single-player content to, to keep this genre alive. Or else it'll just be... I mean, nobody nobody young plays Street Fighter. There's like Brutus. He's like 18 years old or, mm-hmm. I don't know, 15. I can't tell. And then, uh, you know, this Punk was relatively young, but I asked I asked uh, Just a Kid. He's um, the number one online jury, and he's from Milwaukee, my scene. And I was like, do any of your friends play Street Fighter? Like, no. None of them even heard of it. Nobody knows about fighting games unless they're like 20 20 plus years old and that's not good well i'm looking that's one of the big reasons i look to what happens next and i think well you say fighting games do you mean street fighter or do you mean fighting games because i feel like mortal kombat's making the rounds right now mortal kombat is yes i guess i should clarify mortal kombat if you go onto instagram and just search around and look at i feel like if you get to Instagram, you're hitting like the most common denominator. And if you can make a splash there and people talk about your game there, you're hitting everybody, uh-huh. right? So to me, that's like the, the worst social media platform. So if you can make it on there and people be like, oh, nah, man, Mortal Kombat's way better than Street Fighter. That's how you know Mortal Kombat has ha- has the casuals on lock. If you ask any normal person, I mean, by normal, I mean not in the FGC because, you know, we're not normal. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they t- Mortal Kombat blows Street Fighter out of the water. I don't know what's going on with the competitive scene, why that doesn't follow, but I mean, they have something going for them that I wish 
Uh, I mean, I don't even play Mortal Kombat. I don't like the way the games look. Uh, but I, I just wish that other developers would take lessons from them and try to incorporate those elements. And maybe they do try and they just don't have the means or, um, you know, the talent or whatever, the wherewithal to, to pull off something of that scale. But I wish I wish that could happen for games like Street Fighter to help pull in more of the, the younger casual audience into playing tricking them into playing street fighters kind of what i always say make them accidentally have fun with the game to the point where they actually learn what the game is and then suddenly before you know it they're playing online and caring about what if, whether they win or lose and investing time and in getting better get those whippersnappers off of fortnite and into street of fighters course some, some grown-up big board games speaking of that why why does fortnite have more taunts and and uh dances and street fighter you know street fighter invented emotes whatever they, they're called in Fortnite, right? A, a fighting game taunt is like the original Fortnite dance. How come Fortnite has monetized that and Street Fighter has only one taunt per character when Street Fighter 4 had like 13? Dude, I, I last year, middle of last year or so, uh, I was talking about this idea of why Fortnite's so successful with their conspicuous consumption and how fighting games, and you know how much people love their characters. Um, mm. and, and it's like how how their characters very much are not just functions, right? Like we learned that lesson loud and clear. If you could customize, reuse headband and turn it pink or whatever for for Mm -hmm. a dollar, oh my gosh, how how much, how how far through the roof could this game or these kinds of games go? And and we're seeing more and more customizations and whatnot. So I have I have some hope, but I'm really looking for the to the future because I think that we're just getting started. It's a rough beginning, but that we can do it. And we being fighting games, fighting game developers, getting into. I hope so. Yeah. They just need to really take lessons from these big games. I'm, I mean, seriously, the taunting thing blows my mind. There's one taunt in Street Fighter Five per character. How? how? <laughs> There's a million in Street Fighter Four. I mean, there were so many signature taunts, um, like. I would I would purposely pick taunts like Seth. He had that neck crack that was so badass. I mean, there are so many taunts that I clearly remember from Street Fighter Four. You can make new ones and you can charge people money for this. Yes. If you made an interesting taunt and like character customization pack and included a taunt, people would pay for that. If you gave Balrog some kind of taunt that mimics something from Mike Tyson, then we could it, get it went, sued too. You know, yes, like exactly. the fighting game community, <laughs> like like the big boys. Right, there's a line. You got to be careful about the dances. But, you know, if we're getting sued by the big boys, that, that means, means they you know who it. we are. <laughs> we made it. It's not my money, so you go for it. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, Brian F., thank you so much for uh, mm-hmm. for jumping on here with us. Was there anything else that you wanted to chat about that we didn't get uh, to? No, I, th- I think we covered a lot of interesting topics. Uh, I guess I would like to just shout out maybe uh, my Twitch stream, if you don't mind me shilling here for a little bit. No, please, shill away. I was going to ask, where can we see you? How often do you do you stream? All that good stuff. Right, right. I'm on uh, twitch.tv slash Brian underscore F, B-R-I-A-N underscore F, and I stream pretty much every weekday from around like 5 p.m., 6 p.m. Central to 10 p.m. Central. Um, so if you're curious how, how a scrub like me made it to top eight, winners at a premiere i mean there's no there's no secret it's all documented there i, I pretty much stream every single time i play um you can hit me up on twitter twitter.com slash brian f but that's a four instead of an a b r i four and f one day i will get brian underscore f on there and uh youtube as well i've, I've been posting a lot more youtube content youtube.com slash brian underscore f and uh yeah cool. just 
We'll Check link all those up on the site too in the uh, in the article about this. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you very much. I appreciate someone with you know your amount of insight and and you know it's just it's so clear the growth that you've well like you said you've documented it all so we can see where you right. you know you go it's from one there. level to another up until mm-hmm. uh, you know top eight at final round and who knows we'll see you at NCR this weekend right? Yep, I'll be there. All right, Staying top eight again or otherwise you're a total scrub. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to seeing how you do this year on the Pro Tour. Yep, for sure. Thank you so much. Take it easy. Mm, You too. Bye.